0: Greetings and welcome to Trauma and Social Work Podcast. You are listening to Tanya Octave, licensed clinical social worker. My goal is to provide education, resources, suggested practices, and understand more about the aspects of trauma and social work. This podcast is for you because we are all impacted by trauma. I am your host. Go grab your notepad, pen or pencil, a cup of warm tea, and let's get down to business. Welcome to episode nine of Trauma and Social Work Podcasts. Today we are going to talk about poverty and racism, workers that are not protected and they can't speak their mind, all the way to transitioning into nutrition and how malnutrition is deeply rooted in racism and poverty issues and concerns. As a young child, I knew I wanted to have a meaningful profession. I wanted a career that focused on advocating for others who were disadvantaged and for those voices that weren't being heard. I also knew I knew something different to listen to the stories of people who struggled That was kind of my super strength. There's a lot of wisdom found in these conversations and we all struggle in our ways and learning empathy is something hard to teach others. I remember an African proverb, seek knowledge from the wise and the ignorant. I learned early on in life that if you're smart enough, pretty enough, famous enough, rich enough, the world will cater to you or dismiss you. As social workers and mental health wellness clinicians we don't talk enough, write enough, be accountable enough to address institutional biases. Macro social work informs us that we should seek social justice and at the same time We remain silent and submissive, and when working in institutions, we fear for our jobs and our careers. We think we're gonna be fired or demoted in some way. These fears are often challenges for social workers, especially those working in institutions such as child protection or adult protection. They see these injustices, racial biases, gender discrimination, economic imbalances and more. They can't speak up because they fear of getting fired, not getting promoted, or being criticized or evaluated with some sort of low achievement score. There are no laws or policies in place that indicate social workers can't speak up. We don't find any policies and regulations to protect social workers. This is the means of silencing them, those especially that work in these institutions. No one wants a social worker to talk about social injustices. Let's take a minute to think about this in a profound, meaningful manner. One of my first cases as a children's social worker illustrates this idea. A family was being cared for by a relative. There were a handful of children and they lived with the relative for many years. They were well-connected, shared cultural experiences, and loved each other. However, they were poor and a family of color. During this time, a federal law passed regarding all relatives needing to meet the exact requirements required for certified foster families. Now. This is not a discussion about the frustrations with the law. It's about the process and unfairness of those in poverty and those who were judged based on the color of their skin. This family was separated three times and not because of child abuse, neglect, or exploitation concerns. They were separated because they were poor. They could not afford to relocate and find other housing. they weren't even provided time to seek out another accommodation. It is hard, especially when you're poor and for many reasons, you're being asked to get a new apartment with no financial means of doing this. Sometimes you may have prior evictions because you couldn't pay your rent. And the stuff that we will see with COVID in the next couple of years, I hope does not get discredited. This family was separated because they were also a family of color. They didn't have relatives that would offer support, sometimes found in other cultures. They didn't have access to resources, sometimes provided to different cultures. The child welfare system wanted to implement this law right now. These children were removed on three separate occasions. A bit crazy, some would say. I experienced this as a great social injustice. One of the most significant memories in that career. I was forced to follow orders and told I would get written up. As a new social worker, you were learning. So I didn't contest. I just kept doing the job supervisors and managers wanted me to do as social workers we all have stories like this the children and the families that are the children and the families that just stick with us eventually i learned ways around some of the political stuff but it took some time however many families like this are continually traumatized by the decisions of others It's a pattern, and when you don't have money and when you're a family of color, you are vulnerable to this type of intrusive trauma. We need to move towards a greater change in the child welfare system. We must implement policies that protect their workers by allowing them to speak up for their families, to remove some of the power and control from administrators, because they often see families as a number. And there is a behavioral pattern to put families into a box. We must change our perspective and see families who have a life experience dating back several generations, not just maybe what's going on currently in the moment. Families have limitations, and our expectations set them up to fail before we even knock on the door to investigate. To write or talk about a family's strengths and explore different ways to understand their strengths as a tool to eliminate concerns of abuse, neglect, and exploitation of children should be further implemented. Growing up in poverty and being labeled a person of color in the United States has taught me that I have a shared experience. Millions of families are affected by poverty all over the world. They are affected directly and indirectly. There is no surprise that statistically people of color are disproportionately placed in lower economic areas. I visited Australia and chatted with a few aboriginal families. I learned that although they were native to Australia, they were disproportionately affected by racism and poverty. Social workers and those in the helping field need to understand that these limit one's access to things such as education, health care, healthy nutritional choices, mental wellness, etc. In the United States and within my profession we term pathology in terms of mental illness. Many psychoanalytic believe that human behaviors can that human behavior can be explained and understood if you look at one's conscious unconscious behaviors, if you look at maybe childhood connections or examine one's internal ways of functioning. Although, part of this may be true for some, I argue that environmental factors such as poverty and social factors such as institutional racism impact one's ability to function and thrive in a system that appears on the surface, they don't really care. They just don't get it. There needs to be an integration of other factors to explore those who are knowledgeable in health fitness, medicine, science, math to look at the system of a family and everything that surrounds them. This is probably why I use an integrative approach in understanding mental wellness. One aspect of how, let's say, poor mental health underlines issues of poverty and racism is through nutrition. I made an effort to learn more about nutrition, examining how the foods we eat impact our mental well-being and what treatment options are available to help support a healthy life. We must think about food differently. We must eat nutritious and detoxifying foods to the mind, body, and spirit, and not foods based on taste. The first thing most people ask me, well, does it taste good? There is some cognitive work that needs to be done in this area. We must retrain the brain, retrain the thoughts. We must understand more about the lies that we believe and then work to change these lies to achieve our overall mental wellness goals. I believe malnutrition is the root cause of many illnesses and pathologies. There is a reason why most malnourished and toxic communities in the U.S. are located in lower economic neighborhoods and those surrounded by people of color. And this is not surprising because if you look at the research, it's there. Most people just don't read. I'd like to provide this example of the connection between racism and malnourishment. Let's look at the quality of food. I lived in Compton, California for several years. The grocery stores were filled with fruits and vegetables. However, there were a few organic and pesticide-free options. Then I relocated, or I should say, I got a car and then could travel to other areas. I had lunches and dinners in other areas, sometimes near the beach. It was usually surrounded by Caucasians, those with economic privilege, resources, and fresh air. I found organic, pesticide-free options, and farms that were enriched with fruit grown in nutrient and mineral dense soil. I even enjoyed several restaurants that specialized in a higher quality of nutrient-based food options. Now, I am learning. An orange is just not an orange. An orange can be filled with toxins or an orange can be filled with minerals and vitamins. My last point, children. Children are brought up in some neighborhoods eating poisons and junk, and this impacts them in many ways. They have more diagnoses of mental illness, Their genetic replication changes and this affects offspring for many generations. They struggle later to change their diets to nutritious and detoxifying foods because their body is used to being toxic. They are programmed to think healthy food comes in boxes with pretty labels. Their perspective is limited and the worldview becomes rigid and closed. Change feels like an impossibility. As mental wellness experts, we must consider many facts regarding inadequate nutrition and the psychological harm occurring in communities occupied by people of color and those with fewer resources. I will end with this thought. Growing trees and growing trees with lemons and oranges should occur in all communities, not just the ones that have money. Disclaimer: This podcast is not intended for medical, psychological, mental health, or legal advice. You should seek out a professional for individual and specific questions regarding your overall wellness. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with others. Like below and subscribe to my channel. I will end by saying, "The keys to happiness are following the path towards knowing oneself." Ancient comedic proverb.